Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So in my first episode, I had talked about becoming a psychologist and that this was not something I chose to do because I wanted to help people. I always thought that people were really super weird and that was interesting to me. But I didn't go to college to become a psychologist. A lot of my colleagues sort of knew this from when they were young, that this is something they wanted to do for a living. But for me, I took an intro to psych class as one of my electives, and all I learned from that was that I will never again for the rest of my life knowingly take an 8 a.m. class. But besides that, it didn't really hit me until later in my college career and I was sort of floundering and not really sure what my future was going to look like. And I took a sports psychology class and that was the beginning of my love affair with psychology. Now, the way I feel about work is that work has so much to do with our identities. I am not not a psychologist. I cannot turn off my psychologist's brain when I am out doing other things. I mean, I can focus my attention on other things, but I can't stop being a psychologist. I cannot see people on the street acting weirdly and not think about that and analyze that and try to understand what it means. Often when I'm in a restaurant, I will look around the room and try to figure out everybody's stories. I can't do that. I can't go to a restaurant and not do that. I can if nothing weird is happening. If something is off, I can almost feel it like a sixth sense in the room. And then the analysis starts. Um, So I think work is an identity for people. This is true for everybody who has a career that they have worked towards and worked in for a long time. Um, Cops, lawyers, plumbers, it's sort of your identity where you cannot turn it off when you're not working. And so I have seen people from all kinds of walks of life. I've seen strippers and wealthy business people, grad students, people who can't work because they're too mentally ill and somebody else has to pay for them to come to therapy. But you name it, I have seen it in my practice. And I can't help but notice certain things about certain occupations or the way that people interact with their coworkers and interact with their bosses. So one of the things that therapists know that the rest of the world doesn't know is that a person can absolutely excel in their work life. They can be an absolute rock star in whatever they, they could actually be a rock star. Uh, in what they do, and then have this really screwed up personal life on top of it. And I think the reason for that is that work is very grounding for all of us. That when we go to work, 
it's very clear what the expectations are. We earn our money. We do a good job. We get praise, hopefully. And when we do a bad job, we certainly we're told about it. But what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it, no matter what field you are in, is mostly very clear. So even people that have the most screwed up personal life can show up at work and absolutely excel. Now, therapists know this because we know what the rest of the life looks like. You know, particularly in private practice, you have a lot of people who can afford to pay for therapy privately, and yet their life is a total mess outside of what they do for a living. And so it's really interesting to me whenever I meet with people and I find out, you know, something is crazy going on at home, domestic violence, suicidal thoughts, self-mutilation. I know all these things about a person and then I know they're simultaneously doing well at work. They'll be like, yeah, I just, you know felt like killing myself the other night and then they gave me this award at work (laughs) it's like okay yeah sure so apparently nobody at your work has any idea what's really going on with you so it is very interesting like that I do think that the structure of work can be healing as well having a purpose having a focus All of these things are really good to help people along in life. And so I think work is a really good thing for a lot of people. Now, there are a lot of people who live by this saying, work hard, play hard, which means you have to work really hard at your job. And when you have time off, you really, really have to go crazy playing hard. And to me, that just sounds awful. If you're already sort of working hard and presumably stressed in some way, or at least overtaxed in some way at work, then you're going to carry that into your personal life, in your recreational time. And I know a lot of people like this who... Their worst nightmare is to go and sit by a pool and relax. That is the last thing they want to do. I know so many people who do work hard and then in their off time, they're like, oh, we need to go on a hike and then we're going to do stand up paddle and then we got this ski vacation planned and they do one activity after another after another because the concept of just sitting in the quiet is a nightmare. It is absolutely the worst thing that they can imagine. And so the question is, well, what happens when you sit in the quiet? What is the worst thing that happens when you have to sit by a swimming pool and you have to slow down or you have to relax because of COVID, say? Um, A lot of people really fall apart in these moments when they don't have something to focus on and think about. They will describe it as like my my brain is always moving and I can't not be doing something. And so I do feel bad for people who never really get that downtime. Now, 
at least several times a year. I get somebody who will come into my office and say, I am absolutely miserable. I feel nothing. I'm like a robot. I have nothing to give. I don't have any joy in my life anymore. And I will ask them, what's your work life like? And they will tell me that they chose a career that was financially lucrative, but they literally hate going to work every day. Now, when I say this happens several times a year, I could literally say that several times a year, these people are attorneys. For some reason, I get people who are attorneys and absolutely hate what they do and have gotten themselves into a funk. And usually it's not like two years out of law school. We're talking about people who have been in their career for a very long time. And one day they wake up and say, I am not happy. I have no joy. I feel numb. What should I do? And for some reason, that's what I get in terms of the field. For some reason, it's often attorneys. Now, I don't know if that's everybody else's experience, but that's been my experience. I also get attorneys who love what they do, don't get me wrong. So it's not that it's the field that is the problem. However, I think it has something to do with it being such a lucrative field. And it ties into this idea that we're all supposed to grow up, get good grades, go to college, and get a job. And that the way to be the most successful in doing that, the fastest track to the most amount of money doing that, happens to often be becoming an attorney. And so really what that means to me, and again, this could be for a number of different fields, But what that means to me is that someone made the choice that they would get the best possible job on paper, that they would choose the thing that would make them the most money given their education and experience. And that is using the logical side of your brain. What looks best on paper what will provide for you, et cetera, et cetera. This is how people sort of arrive here. What gets ignored in the process of somebody focusing solely on how much money they can make is the idea of what they actually want, what they would actually enjoy in life. And so that doesn't factor in often. And for people who show up years and years into a career that they hate, often that's the problem is that they thought that they could do the same thing day in and day out and that the money would somehow make up for the fact that they were absolutely miserable. Now, besides the logical side of our brain, we have an emotional side of our brain. And the emotional side is where joy lives and where happiness lives and where passion lives. 
And if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, which is a Disney movie, and I highly recommend it. It's really good. And if you ever want to understand how your emotions and your life experience work together, this is a phenomenal movie for that. And also understanding memory. It's a phenomenal movie for that. So the emotional side of the brain contains the feelings part. And any major life decision that you are going to make has to have both the logical side and the emotional side on board. And we have seen people, you've probably seen people, who married somebody because that person looked good on paper. Either they had a good career or they came from a good family or something like that, even though the person wasn't really in love with them. And then years go by and they end up divorced. And so that can happen in your personal life, but it also can happen in your career. And this is what happens when people choose a career that looks really good on paper. And it doesn't even just have to be the money. You know, there were a lot of people that I have talked to who didn't get their doctorates in psychology and maybe they got a master's degree instead and they'll tell me well I really kind of did want that doctor in front of my name but I didn't want to go to school that long so I did a master's degree instead and so really that prestige of having the doctor in front of your name is often part of that looks good on paper thing. Same for attorneys. To be known as an attorney is something that holds a lot of prestige. It's not just the money. And so that checks all the boxes in terms of that which is logical. Now, the emotional side is another thing. You also need to find something that you have a passion for, that makes you happy, that makes you look forward to your day. And if you don't have that, you will end up numb and feeling dead inside at some point in your work. If you choose wrong, you will end up feeling that way. If you choose the logical side only and not the emotional side as well, you will be unhappy. Now, the same can be true on the other side of the coin. You can choose a job that you're very excited about, but pays nothing. And there are a lot of people who choose these passion type of work, uh, work that, that they have a passion for. For example, a lot of social workers have a passion for what they do for helping people, but social workers are known to make very little money. And so their emotional side of the brain is taken care of. But when it comes down to it, and they're not able to afford the lifestyle that they would like to afford, or in some cases, not even be appropriately able to pay bills, then that can only be sustained for so long. I don't believe that the passion can carry you forever when you are stressed out about putting food on your table. It just doesn't work that way. So 
both sides of the brain need to be on board in order for you to be happy in your career. You need to be able to feel like you can support yourself and you also need to feel excited about what you're doing and enjoy it on some level. So another thing that I've been thinking about in terms of the world of work is this relationship that we have between bosses and workers. I had worked for other people for a very long time before I went into private practice. And most of us who are in private practice work for somebody at some point before this. All of my bosses seem to have the same thing in common. And I think if you look back at your time working for other people and you look at all of your relationships with your bosses, you will see a pattern. Whether it's the same type of person that you have always worked for or it's the dynamic between you and your boss. So there are a lot of complaints, obviously, about bosses. And one of the complaints I hear a lot is, I don't think my boss does anything. I do all the work and my boss just sits around eating bonbons, not doing a damn thing, going to lunch, checking out early, etc., etc. Right. So there's a lot of people who would say this about their boss. And the, this message being that I do everything and my boss doesn't take care of me. I am neglected. And so I wonder where that comes from. A lot of the times, the dynamics between you and your boss have a lot to do with what you were used to growing up. Now, another huge complaint Another complaint that I get from people is that they are not praised enough for the work they do. I did this project and no one thanked me for it. Nobody said I did a good job. They just moved on like nothing ever happened. But boy, when I called in sick that one day, they were all over me. Right, And so it has to do with this relationship that you have with your boss about rewards and punishments. And I would take a look at that and wonder what rewards and punishments were like for you growing up and how that played out for you. Another complaint, my boss doesn't know what the hell they're doing and they keep screwing everything up and I have to be the one to clean it up and I don't know what to do anymore because they keep screwing everything up and creating more work for me, okay? So a lot of complaints about the incompetent boss and I wonder what kind of parent that was, right? And it may be something like a parent who was extremely nervous or didn't know the first thing about being a mom or a dad or maybe the parent was a drug addict or an alcoholic. Sometimes I come across people who are like best friends with their boss and it's unclear 
who's actually in charge, that the boss treats their subordinate like an equal, and it's almost like they're partners and best friends and buddies. And that's a very interesting dynamic too, because what happens when when the employee does something wrong and there needs to be corrective action? I'm not sure how a boss in that position would handle things. But again, I would take a look at what the dynamics were with the parent growing up. And then, of course, there are always these people who come in and they're workaholics, and they don't necessarily hate their job. They might actually love their job, and they work hard, and they eat, breathe, sleep their job. And a lot of times I see that as a person trying to prove that they are worthy, trying to prove to the boss that they are good enough and important enough and all of that. And they never feel like it's enough. And they're always down on themselves for not having done more and trying harder next time. And there's a lot of beating themselves up on the inside. And so there's a dynamic that I would guess is created by parents with either high standards growing up or parents who were narcissistic in which nothing was ever good enough. And so we see all of these dynamics, and I'm sure that you can probably think of a few more, but we see all these dynamics and people who have jobs and work for somebody else and are trying to sort of work it out, trying to work through their relationships with their boss slash trying to work through their relationship that they had with their parents growing up. Because a boss is an authority figure no matter what. One of my friends once said to me when we were young interns, she said, I like to think of everybody as equal. When I'm doing therapy, I like to think that I don't judge people and I'm there for them like a friend and, you know, we're all equal and nobody's better. And I remember just looking at her and saying, yeah, but you're not telling them all your problems. They're coming in and telling you the most intimate details of their lives, and you're helping them to live a better life. So even though you don't want to be unequal, you are unequal by the nature of the relationship. You are, for all intents and purposes, a parent, and they are your children. And to be honest, that's kind of how I view my own clients now to this day. These are a, This is a group of people that I am responsible for their emotional well-being. Now, I'm not the only player in their life, so I'm not the only person responsible, but they come and see me once a week and expect me to help them with their psychological well-being. And that expectation alone puts a lot of responsibility on me. That isn't so much different than just being a parent and making sure that you're doing the right thing and helping your kids to go in the right direction. It's not that dissimilar. Now, a lot of times I will get 
people who come in, mostly it's young people because they haven't figured out exactly what they want to do in their life. And this is true developmentally for anybody who's in their 20s. The developmental stage at that time is to figure out your identity. And your identity consists of several things. It consists of figuring out who your tribe is, who your people are, who your friends are, where you can be yourself and be accepted and feel connected. That's one part of it. Another part of it is finding the appropriate romantic partner, which I think most of us struggled with in our 20s. Some people were lucky enough to find the right person when they were in their 20s, but I think for the most part, it was a process of trial and error for most of us trying to figure out what kind of person that we would fit with romantically and who would be healthy for us. And a lot of people don't figure that out until later in life. But the trial and error process occurs during the 20s. Now, the other part of the identity has to do with career. Identity, from an American perspective, has a lot to do with career. And figuring out not only where you see yourself going in terms of the type of work that you have passion for and looks good on paper and you'll be able to pay your bills with. And also figuring out the type of lifestyle that you want to live and the people you want to be with. The worst nightmare for me would be any type of job in which I would be on call in the middle of the night. Now, I might be interested in becoming a doctor or a nurse just from a science perspective, like I'm interested in biology. But if somebody called me at 3 o'clock in the morning saying that they needed me to come into work, I would tell them to F off because no thank you. That is not the life I want to live. And so there's that as a factor, too. If you're not the type of person who can live by the schedule that your chosen career gives you, then maybe it's not the best idea for you. And also the people. Do you feel like you fit in with the people? I have a lot of clients who maybe it's the company they work for, Or maybe it's the industry they work in, but their personality just often doesn't mesh with the people around them. For example, somebody who is extremely sensitive and they work with a bunch of people who are sarcastic, like cops or something. You know, cops will use a lot of dark humor and that kind of thing. And that's sort of part of the personality because that's how they often cope with difficult situations, someone who comes into a job like that, who is sensitive and easily offended, isn't going to fit in there. And usually a person like that wouldn't become a cop. But that's just an example of something I have seen in terms of the personality not fitting. Another example would be a career in which you had to spend a lot of time working on a team or giving big presentations, but underneath it all, you're an introvert, and that's actually your worst nightmare. 
And so you can see how it's really hard to choose something that fits you. And it's especially hard for somebody who is in that age range, who's in their 20s, trying to figure out without having hardly any work experience in their life where they fit. And so I see that a lot. Now, there's a book called What Color Is Your Parachute by Richard Nelson Bowles. And I am told, I haven't read it myself, but I am told that it is absolutely fantastic for helping people to understand where they fit from a career perspective. But just keep in mind that it's important to have two things in order. To have something that you can support yourself with and to have something you're passionate about. And when you have those two things in place, it should be okay to figure out where you go next. Back to the story about attorneys, though. So I, several times a year, will get attorneys in particular who will show up in my office and say, I am numb, I feel nothing, I feel dead inside, and then I will ask, what is your workday like? Basically, for most attorneys... A 40-hour work week is part-time. That working attorneys work 80 hours a week on average. And so, okay, right there tells me you've got to be passionate in order to be able to do this. And when people don't have that passion and they're working that much, not to mention they don't have time to spend the money or enjoy the time off, But then on top of it, a person gets used to the money. And that is what we call the golden handcuffs. And I've seen it with attorneys. I've also seen it with college professors, with the retirement plans, cops who also have the pension. So I could see how this would be a problem. If you want to feel alive inside, you have to find passion in all areas of your life. And if you work a lot and you don't have time to spend with your loved ones or to spend just relaxing or taking time off, then how do you expect to get passion back or love or joy or any of that stuff back? And so for me, the obvious choice is to take a look at what you need to do to modify this very, very miserable career that you have created for yourself. Why I bring up attorneys is because I get this same thing several times a year. An attorney will come in and ask for help trying to get the passion back or the joy back in their life. And once I start asking questions about why they stick with a career they hate, I don't see them anymore. They don't come back because they wanted an answer that had to do with just don't focus on the stress and you'll be okay. Some simple answer of helping them to tolerate the misery and I just can't do it. And so, like I said, it's not just about attorneys. It's about people who chose something from a logical perspective and didn't have any emotional perspective when they made their choice. And I like to think 
of this other phrase. Rather than work hard and play hard or work hard, play harder, I like do something you love and never work a day in your life. And I feel like that's kind of where I am on some level. Not to say that I don't have difficulties, but every day I can say that I enjoy what I do and I have a passion for what I do. And it's good on paper too. So I hope that you can find the same. Thank you for listening and be well.